Where are you from, Joseph? South Shields. Well, there were three of us in this marriage. I just want to say, Liam, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. I enjoy cooking bacon and stop working with flour. This is Your Welcome America, the podcast that explains what the bloody hell Brits are banging on about. In every episode, we translate British pop culture for America and American pop culture for Britain. You're welcome. Hi, babes. Hi. We, oh, uh, oh, you speak. No, I speak. Well, we're struggling to speak because we're not together, are we? No, we are back to our stupid <laughs> recording from different locations uh, experiences because LA County has gone into another confusing set of lockdowns, measures. I don't know. I don't know anymore. <laughs> safer at home, safer alone. I don't know. Don't know, don't care. Following it, but don't know and don't care. <laughs> yeah. I'm even trying to Google it now because something just came in today that changed things, but I don't understand it. So it's like in LA, you know, when you park somewhere and there's like a, a po- like the parking sign and it's like po- no parking between 2 and 4 p.m. except other Tuesday but meanwhile, if there's street sweeping, you can, but you can't if it's recycling day. It's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. And it's like, if your car's electric, you can park here. If it is gas, you can uh, drive off a cliff and kill yourself. It's just, yeah, no, it, I completely, <laughs> exactly. I completely feel like, I guess it's that thing of, I guess everything, everyone's experiencing back at home as well with the kind of like tier system and like different places being in different things. But here it just feels like one big disaster zone. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah. how, how, how have you been? What have you been up to? Well, one thing I have been doing is weirdly, this is very straight of me, rewatching some of the Bond movies. Oh, no, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I have a, a, a secret straight side when it comes to my taste in film and television. So I mm-hmm. love, I love the Bond movies. I love obviously well, the, we- the, you know, the peak for you and I would always be the Piers Brosnan 90s Bond movies. That's that's the pinnacle. But I do like going back to the the source material and watching the really misogynistic, awful ones from uh, the, the past. Yeah. The other week we watched Goldeneye together, didn't we? <laughs> we, we did. Very. What a baffling movie. <laughs> Very strange. Again, yeah. a movie I don't think I've seen since it came out. And my knowledge of that movie is mainly based on the computer game. And half of that movie was trying really hard and the other half was just like giving into the 90s. No, it was more It was more Judy Dench does a great speech about equality and sexism and really just referring to sexism in the Bond movies. And then we cut instantly to a scene of Famke Janssen's character, Xenia Onatop, uh, I think murdering a man with her thighs in a sauna while she orgasms. Yes. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Very very confused signals coming from her and her thighs so last night i watched uh goldfinger because according to like rotten tomatoes translation tomatoes and all those sites that's meant to be the best one it's not a very good movie just objectively it's not a good movie give me give me the so i remember obviously goldfinger is the where the lady gets painted gold what's yes. the what's the villain what's the villain's ambition and what is the main country that it takes place in then i'll be able to get it in my head Okay, okay. The the villain Goldfinger, who is I don't know where he's from. I will prob I'll refer to him probably how he's referred to in the script, foreign. <laughs> and he is trying to get a monopoly in all the world's gold. That's what he's <laughs> trying to do. 
And he's trying to, yeah, because he owns lots of gold, but he wants to destroy the rest of the world's gold. So his gold's value will go up. Anyway, I think people love this movie because you're right. It has the lady painted in gold. It has Odd Job. It has Aston Martin for the first time. It has Sean Connery, who in retrospect was incredibly sexy. Oh, um, hell yes. He, I, I, I've never noticed this before. Oh, hot damn. He's the sexiest Bond by far. May I recommend your next one to be Live and Let Die? It's it's the Roger Moore one, but it's basically and kind of New Orleans voodoo. There's really problematic stuff in, in that segment, but it has Jane Seymour as the Bond girl. She's a tarot card reader. There's it's a in my memory, it's a really fun Bond movie. So I'd be interested to uh mm. let's in fact, in fact, why don't we why don't we watch that in our own time and and either reconvene and talk about it on the next episode or just text each other about it in real life. <laughs> Both sound great. I'm already excited about the costumes that go along with a tarot card reader. <laughs> what have you been up to? Um, just, you know, living alone, et cetera, et cetera. Today, I decided to get out of the house because I have not left the house in a week. I decided that I wanted to see LA at its worst. So I went to, I popped myself along to Runyon Canyon for a hike. Oh, how is she these days? How's she getting on during COVID? Well, let's say that there's two main rules for for Runyon Canyon, and that is uh, keep your dog on a lead, translation leash, and wear a mask. And I'll say people were treating those as incredibly optional. A <laughs> mm. lot of lot of loose dogs and dangling or not even masks to be seen at all I, I would say I stole this I steal this expression from another podcast that I listened to called watch what crappens which I love there was a lot of mask pageantry going on you know a lot of holding it waving it flapping from ears you know just a lot of pageantry and no real application of it but this is just for anyone that doesn't live in LA and doesn't know about the monsters that live here. Runyon Canyon is kind of a hiking trail just off of Hollywood. And it's the real kind of tourist trap hiking place to go if you're in LA. And it really is where you want to go. If you want to like, if you want to see what you think Los Angeles is like, you go to Runyon Canyon. I saw, you know, people of, of all genders, all things. I saw people with, you know, faces so surgery, they looked like they were trapped inside their own faces like a mask, which was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a uh, a girl hiking in, like, cut-off denim, like, booty shorts and Birkenstock sandals uh, up that, you know, the the, the thing it's that you and me climbed. Steep. <laughs> yeah. now, here, now, here's the thing about Runyon. It may be, like, the most basic center of the city hike, but it is steep at the beginning, you Well. Know? Well, the, the the girl in the the shorts and the Birkenstocks, she they clearly were like they were clearly from out of town. Again, none of them, not a mask in sight. They obviously didn't realize that you have to if you want to do the tourist trail, you walk up the bit that's like the paved bit in the middle because it's the most gentle. So they had accidentally mm -hmm. gone up the West Trail, which is that one you and me did when I first moved here. Do you remember? And um, so that's the one where you literally at one point I kind of almost doing a rock scramble. <laughs> she was she was not happy about that. Good for her. Wait, I want to know, was there, my thing with, with Runyon is anytime I go, there's a lot of people walking up there playing music out loud. Was there any of that going on? Well, I, because I was alone, I was playing, blasting a lot of music directly into my ears because I didn't want to hear, even though I thought it would be fun to hear what people were talking about. A couple of times I paused my music and it was so inane that I, I just pumped that volume right up. And actually, right. shout shout out to our new listener with the greatest Instagram handle, Bealistic Capital, for inspiring me and reminding me of 
the song I'm Over You by Martin McCutcheon that I didn't have it on my phone. So I listened to I'm Over You by Martin McCutcheon while I was ascending to the greatest peak of Runyon Canyon. It was quite a beautiful moment. Oh, that's lovely. I just, I just want to say, I think the UK equivalent of Runyon Canyon, bearing in mind this is a, a kind of an elevated walk in the middle of a city, in London, maybe Primrose Hill? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Not, maybe not as Also ta- notorious. Yeah, maybe not as taxing, but definitely it's got that kind of, that vibe. It would be like a destination yeah. that you'd get on air. Cool things to do in London, you know. What from the nineties? Yeah, go to go to Primrose Hill. Um, I think also for for Scotland, the uh, the Edinburgh version is Arthur's Seat. That is the the Edinburgh equivalent of uh, Runyon Canyon. Well, I mean, I wouldn't know. You know, I don't go to Scotland. Never been. Never will. Won't cross Hadrian's Wall. There it is. (laughs) Refusing, refusing to cross Hadrian's Wall. (laughs) Should we? uh, Should we do some feedback? Yes. Okay, I'm going to start off by saying that podcast nemesis Michael, he got in touch to say that quite obviously the US equivalent of Princess Diana is Marilyn Monroe. Elton John was giving us the clue all along. I mean, that's the thing about podcast nemesis Michael. When he's right, he's goddamn right. Okay, what have you got? Well, I was going to say, did you see that also Teddy uh, commented and said that he thinks that it's, that the US equivalent is Jackie Kennedy? which I think is also a great suggestion. That's fine, but you know my feelings on on Jackie's. <laughs> Jackie Stallone? Exactly. She's the only Jackie that I care about. Okay, fair enough. We have a couple of reviews as well on uh, iTunes. So I'm going to read... Uh, one of them is, is very brief. Uh, it's entitled Vicky B, and it's by Max Powers 8810 And they simply said, hold on to your knickers, girls. And we have another one, another review. The title is Cultured! Exclamation <laughs> mark. This is by C. Moore with a emoji of a raw piece of steak. <laughs> so C. Moore, raw steak emoji. <laughs> uh, they, uh, they say, I've never felt more worldly as I listen to this fun and informative podcast. The hosts have a great chemistry and a love for Janet Jackson. What more could you want? As the British would say, tune in and they've spelled tune c-h-o-o-n which i really appreciate oh, she's, that she's done well with that i have to say that does sound like someone who, who listened up until the feedback and then gave up <laughs> i don't blame them it's that's a tough segment to get through okay um we have some more feedback from instagram okay we've got clc she thinks that princess diana would also have done strictly Mm. aka uh, dancing with the stars yeah i could see that think of the gowns think of the gowns also she says argos is now owned by sainsbury's so you can get them inside the larger sano's stores <laughs> so that's your target target equivalent although sainsbury's is fancier than tesco yeah, it is. yeah. So, I'm, I'm not yeah. sure yeah the products don't quite line up in a sainsbury's compared to a tesco but i do appreciate that and i do me and clc when we used to uh, live near each other in southeast london we lived near a big sainsbury's and me and her often talked about the joy of going to the the big sainsbury's for a shop had a starbucks inside oh 
did you ever did you get a did you get like a little coffee before doing the shop absolutely get yourself around there and then you know it's got a clothes section it had a toy section sold everything all the things i need you close the toys do you know the 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 big asda that used to be near actually it was on like the outskirts of my university apparently at certain time of night on like a friday like 10 p.m in front of the meat counter is where people would go and like meet up and then go have sex have we talked about this before because i feel like i'm about to tell you a story about asda that i think i've told you before wait what's your story maybe we have done this before <laughs> when in my asda near my university we saw david snedden from fame academy shopping and my friend caroline was staring at him and he saw her so she panicked and i think she dropped a whole box of scottish porridge oats <laughs> which probably oh, did, was like a hate crime uh, did the did the porridge oats explode <laughs> no they didn't but it caught david snedden attention even more he could hear that that like pitter patter of a scottish oat hitting the floor in asda and it really got him <laughs> interested that's that's very threatening to david snedden what's happened to david snedden i'm just doing a very quick google he was original winner of fame academy wasn't he he was indeed Although I think the real winner was Lamar. Oh, if there's any justice in the world, he was the real winner. <laughs> I still, I, I actually still think Lamar's first song was good. Dance, dance, dance makes me wanna dance. Oh yeah, I just wanna dance with you. I just wanna be with you. <laughs> I now I don't know if you know this about me, but my mother Laura York, she loved Lamar. And she got tickets to see Lamar at the UEA, which is the University of East Anglia, where they would do a lot of, there's kind of a gig venue there. And me and my mother went and saw Lamar together at the University of East Anglia nightclub venue. Oh, that's lovely. Was it Was it a good gig? I honestly can only remember that song, but I think of my mum every time I hear that song. <laughs> I, my favorite part of that song is when he says something about like, the birds and the bees. I think one of the lyrics is literally, the ooh, the ah, the ooh. <laughs> The sound of the birds, birds and the, the bees. bees. Yes, exactly. Our, our two favorite moments are the same line split up. Isn't that lovely? Ah, <laughs> uh, right. Do you get any other feedback for us? Oh, my Lord. Oh, hang on. <laughs> there was a bit of back and forth with Little's Beth on Instagram. My friend Lydia. I'm not going to pretend she's some new listener. And it was a lot of talk about uh, whether people in the UK hated Diana in the 90s. She says her mum, along with lots of other mums, were obsessed with her. She was like a kind of housewife's icon because she escaped her, her depressing marriage. Uh, we we then questioned her on Trish's obsession, and she went to Trish, Trish is her mum, she went to Trish for kind of a, an updated opinion on Princess Diana, and this is what we got back. Trish has confirmed that, at least from her opinion, everyone bloody loved Diana. She got a bit carried away and went into an extremely long diatribe about the ins and outs of it, which I won't go into, but I will share that she referred to Charles as a miserable little twerp. So take take that what you will. <laughs> Twerp. Well, I'm just going to come right back at you. Uh, and my 90s mum, Carol, that's right, Carol, another great 90s mum name. I remember the day Princess Diana died, my mum wore a red jumper, um, quite specifically, and went shopping in the middle of Glasgow in protest. I, I don't quite understand what she was protesting against, but she was not happy that everyone was incredibly upset about it. Confusing. <laughs> I mean, what a bold stance to take. And also, again, one of those little pieces of information that really makes me understand you more as a person. 
<laughs> well, and also, well, speaking of that as well, speaking of my my family tree, uh, we have Return of the EMC. Uh, just inquire over Instagram um, some questions about uh, Egyptian grandma and whether she's still alive. And I said she's she's very much dead. She's in the afterlife, sending us uh, curses. So uh, just a just an update on Egyptian grandma there. Fantastic. Now. We should tell you what on earth this show is about. Every episode, we take a British topic. It's from pop culture. We discuss, dissect, work out the US equivalent. And then we take an American topic and do the same thing. Right, should we get into it? Please. And we are back. Ben, you are doing the first topic, and that is American. What do you got for me, babes? Well, this time of year... You might want to cozy up. You might want to get festive. You, hey, you might be looking for a stocking filler, or as they might say in America, a stocking stuffer uh, to give someone. And may I recommend my American topic for today, which is Mariah Carey's book. It is The Meaning of Mariah Carey. So we have both read this. We have. We have indeed. I may not have finished it, but I have definitely made some serious inroads. Okay, got it. Well, first of all, actually, I know we're both holding the book. The front cover, she is dressed in black. She looks great. It does look like her hand is caught in her extensions in her hair and she's trying to get them free. Yes, she has a real lion's mane, actually, in this on this cover. But actually, not to jump ahead too much, but the topic of her hair is a real, real, uh, is a real kind of thing in this book. And it's actually quite fascinating. But it, it sure it, is. It does look quite lion-esque on the cover. She also appears to be wearing what I would describe as a, like a sexy funeral outfit. Mm, she, oh yeah, she could definitely like make a very solid appearance at a funeral in this outfit. <laughs> but actually, if you look at the lower part, you can see her underwear. Oh yeah, so you can. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm open to that at my funeral. I mean, much yeah. like, you know, Elton John outliving um, Kim Kardashian, Mariah <laughs> Carey is, is going to outlive me. So Mariah <laughs> Carey's book, The Meaning of Mariah Carey. Now, here's the thing. What were your expectations of this book before reading it? I wasn't expecting. Well, OK, I'm going to be I'll be fully transparent. So when I first heard she was doing a book, I thought, oh, that'll be fun. Then I I watched the Oprah Mariah interview before I got the book, which is actually what made me order the book. <laughs> so it was a very effective piece of advertising. And obviously on that interview, Oprah read a lot of kind of excerpts and talked about a lot of the themes of the book and the topics. So actually I was prepared for how serious a lot of it was and how yeah. how much kind of the, the subject of her race and ethnicity is a huge factor into who she is and what's kind of shaped her. So actually I, I kind of went into reading it knowing that because of the Oprah special. But before I watched the Oprah special, I was like, oh, it'll be fun. It'll be lots of like hearing about her lavish lifestyle and, and you know, all that stuff. But I think it was a good balance actually. Yeah, it, I, I, I agree. I didn't watch that Oprah thing. I thought it was going to be a, a fun and frivolous romp. I mean, it's called The Meaning of Mariah Carey. I thought it's going to be like an A to Z translation, A to Z of like fun things from her life, like B for butterflies, H for honey, the hit song. But no, it is intense. Her childhood in particular mm. and growing up was, it was rough yeah. and it was very bleak and unsafe. She had a complicated relationship with her family she still does to this day it seems like she's constantly trying to work out how to deal with her family it's like okay they're my family I know I'm meant to love them but they're also awful people but I should also support them that kind of is going on a lot yeah 
awful things happen. Like her sister throws like a scolding hot cup of tea over her. She yeah. gets burnt. There's um, racist abuse going on. Um, so yeah, it's all go. But I mean, a main theme, and you've already touched on the fact that she grew up uh, mixed race. And it's a lot of it is like whether she passes for white or whether she's black enough. There's a yeah. lot of that going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So her it's that is all fascinating and yeah it makes you have a new understanding of mariah obviously in this podcast (laughs) we want to have a bit of fun so i'm going to pick out some of the fun standout moments from the book now first of all in general the mansion that she built with her her ex-husband tommy matol in the 90s which she referred to as sing sing yeah (laughs) this fascinates me yeah Love, loved so, reading about Sing Sing. That was, yeah, even though, again, it's actually a very dark chapter of her life, I am obsessed with Sing Sing and that whole situation. A lot of, uh, I mean, are you going to read the story about her escaping with Debrat? Because that's wild. Well, yeah, so so uh, the, the mansion was built in upstate New York and she was essentially never really allowed to leave it because her ex-husband, Tommy Matola was so controlling. But yeah, there is one story where Debrat comes over and they're recording a song or having fun and they decide to go out and get fries from McDonald's. Is that right? I think so. And they just, yeah, they just, they just run off to McDonald's and it causes like a whole thing. Wait, does a helicopter come for them? Or have I made that up? (laughs) I don't remember, but I do like the idea of Tommy Matola chasing her down in a helicopter. What, through the drive-thru? Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, uh, Sing Sing in general is fascinating. It's very like 90s gauche throwback to i don't know roman columns and everything but my maybe my favorite fact about it is the fact that it burned down <laughs> yeah yeah it was very versace-esque isn't it it's got that kind of versace or versailles maybe i'm getting those two things mixed up maybe i'm actually combining those two things a versailles versace reference versace <laughs> that should really be a diffusion line by versace so yeah, essentially this this house she built and lived in the nineties, and then she sold it and moved on and got her divorce. And then at the end of like a, a chapter, she just says something very throwaway, like, "Yeah." And then later years, the house burnt down due to faulty wiring. That's it. <laughs> faulty wiring. She built that house from the ground up, so I, I think she did that. She it was like a fail safe that she built into the house. She was like, "If I'm <laughs> just like if I'm still stuck here in like ten years time, the whole thing's going up in flames anyway, whether I'm here or not." <laughs> yeah you get, it's, it's very much like a mariah video like in the middle of the night she's dressed as like a kind of sexy undercover spy like going around with some pliers like cutting wires <laughs> yeah i i definitely think one of the things i was more surprised about with the book is that it wasn't it's a lot less of a, a journey about her music i mean it is about her music but it i wanted i did i didn't feel like i got as many kind of you know music video behind the scenes stories or those kind of things as much of it being actually a genuinely very touching and you know a difficult kind of memoir I was expecting like basically I wanted to (laughs) I wanted to read a book where we would forensically pick apart not just the original heartbreaker video where she fights herself her evil alter ego uh her alter ego is it she called Bianca the British evil brunette Mariah Bianca brunette B&B yeah yeah I want to break down the Heartbreaker original video, and then also then the Heartbreaker remix video, because as you know, the Heartbreaker remix is maybe my number one favorite song of all time. I think I can do. I can. I can. Yeah, I can do the entire. I can rap the entire rap and sing the whole of the Heartbreaker remix from memory. I'm not. I'm not asking you to do it right now. 
<laughs> I'm not going to do it for you. Don't you worry. Okay, wait a minute. Okay, hang on then. What are your favorite Mariah songs? Give me. Hit me. Okay, so number one is the Heartbreaker remix. I can't put anything at the top. This is more of just a grouping. So I'm going to say the Heartbreaker remix, Vision of Love, Like That. Ooh. Oh, and uh, Touch My Body. Oh, great songs. Well, let me tell you a story about It's Like That. I, when I would go out at university, because it's very 2004, 2005, <laughs> I would it. refuse to leave the club until they played that song. It's not even a song that you can really dance to very much. So like the DJ <laughs> reluctantly, like, three in the morning would play that as the final song <laughs> and i dance usually with my friend sabrina and then we'd leave bing bong bing 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 bong i'd say the only dance move you can do to uh, it's like that is a body roll it's a, it's oh. very much it's very much just a lot of kind of from from your neck down to your kind of knees you can kind of just roll that whole thing constantly get like a groove yeah i can, <laughs> I can see that also at that that period of time I had the Mariah remix album. Oh, and yeah. what we used to do is we would take it with us to house parties and we get to the house party, we'd make ourselves a drink, be like, hey, everyone, hey, hi, hi, hi. And then we'd slowly sort of shuffle over to the CD player. And then as soon as a song ended, we would like eject what was ever in it. We'd put in the Mariah remix album and then we'd spend like the next hour dancing around it, protecting it and making sure no one else would change it. Exactly. What would people want to put on in the place of Mariah's remix album? I mean, like- uh, well, Cold oh, four and oh five. Well, no, I'd be like, it'd be like some killers or something. Oh, no, thank you. I love the glitter soundtrack. I have great, yes. I have great visions of competing on <laughs> X Factor and being able to perform that killer note from Never Too Far. You know the bit where she literally, she literally screams it at the end of the song. Do you know what I'm talking about? <gasps> I mean, you can't see me right now, but I've stood up and I'm I'm applauding. And I, I'm I'm seated beside Kelly Rowland, Simon Cowell, Cheryl, Danny's there as well. It's a very big panel this year, and we're all just applauding. Not Talisa. Talisa's not there. No, she's not there. Well, I, well, I, re, the reason I the reason I'm so obsessed with that is because I love that bit because it's you think you think you know what's coming. And it's like one long note. And then she goes up and up again and up again. And one final time. I feel like I've never seen her perform that song live. I'm not sure it's actually possible. Anyway. Oh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> but on the subject of glitter, I'm turning to page 235 of Mariah Carey's book. Oh, and there is a great section. Are you, are you flicking through the pages? There's a great section where she's talking about what happened on TRL with Glitter back in the day. So quick refresher, that's when she apparently stage crashed uh, TRL, I'm using that in quotation marks, and she had like a... Ice cream trolley. Yeah, an ice ice cream trolley. And she was there. That in like in the public side, that was like the beginning of her breakdown. So this, I thought this was all very fascinating, this section, because essentially she was overworked. She was trying to make glitter happen, particularly because it came after, you know, her new record uh, signing to Virgin after getting away from her ex, Tommy Mottola at Sony. So she thought, and I was like, this is genius. She thought, I'm just going to turn up TRL and I'm going to, you know, cause a scene and promote my album. I'm like, great, this is what you should do. But I love this section because 
she's very shady to this day about Carson Daly. And right. I really appreciate that. I very much freestyled my dialogue as I tend to do. And I was hoping Carson Daly could play off of me, riff and involve the audience as one would expect a host to do. <laughs> but he didn't play along. I know he was probably told to act surprised, but he didn't act at all. I was like, ooh. <laughs> I'm just reading the next I was just reading the next bit. I awkwardly removed the t-shirt to reveal gold sparkly hot pants and a supergirl tank top, but in response, Carson acted all aghast and said, Mariah Carey is stripping on TRL right now. And then in, in brackets, oh now he decides to act. <laughs> and then this line, I certainly was not stripping, I was revealing. <laughs> Love it. I mean oh. Good for, I mean, good for, like, that is a dream situation on a TV show or anything for a giant superstar to come on and do that. Do you well, think? Well, I feel like she, I feel like Mariah gets the respect that she deserves now because she doesn't deal with fools like Carson Daly. She goes on to, you know, watch what happens live and gets worshipped by Andy Cohen. And he knows, he knows exactly if, if she went on to watch what happened live and started taking her clothes off, Andy Cohen wouldn't say, oh, Mariah Carey's stripping now. You know, he would fall to his knees and worship at her feet like he should do. I funny yeah. enough, actually, speaking of Andy Cohen, this is a this <laughs> this memoir is published by like Andy Cohen Books or something, isn't it? Well, I mean, you know he's you know he's a publisher. Oh yeah, look, Andy Cohen Books, Henry Holt and Company. Oh, he's got his finger in every little pie, hasn't he? That shady little cat. Yeah. I mean but but I mean good for him because he knows he knows the audience. Mariah's like plugged in and good for all of them. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> You're like, furious. we about Andy Cohen. Good for him. He's got my life. Furious. <laughs> um, on page 238, there's also a great section about Mariah and Diana. You know, just to throw back to the last episode. And she talks about seeing Diana at a Vogue party. And she says, she was in a stunning sapphire-colored gown, neck dripping in the same blue gems. And she had that look. The dull terror of never being left alone burning behind her eyes. We were both like cornered animals in couture. I completely recognized and identified with her. We shared the understanding of how it felt always being surrounded by people, all of whom might not be trying to hurt you, but all of whom are trying to do something. They all want something. So I kind of took this as Mariah essentially um, recognizing and predicting the sad downfall of Diana. How did you take that? Yeah, definitely. Do you know what? It, the thing with Mariah is it's very easy to laugh at her <laughs> because she has a very camp kind of value that makes her very kind of, everyone has like a lovable laugh at her about things, but she kind of has a point in that. I can imagine they both live, it's it's not necessarily that she's saying she is Princess Diana, but I guess it's just about being uh, at that time, a woman living in like a very controlled kind of environment. And actually, I, you know, I, this is how I felt throughout the whole book. Every time she said something, I was like, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I agree with you. And I, I I thought Mariah's got a point throughout this whole book. I was like, wow, this is amazing. But some of it came across as feeling a bit embellished. I didn't have proof of that until we got to the point about VH1 Divas Live. So Mariah's talking about a performance, which uh, meant to honor Aretha Franklin. And Aretha's at the center of it. And joining Aretha is Carol King, Mariah, Gloria Estefan, Shania Twain, and Celine Dion. Oh, there's a lot of there's a lot of crimped hair in that. I, my memory of seeing it, if I'm just conjuring it out correctly, everyone's hair is crimped. A lot of, and a lot of heavy, expensive clothing going on as well. Um, 
So in the book, Mariah says, you know, this is uh, Aretha's moment. She needs to be front and center. All the rest of us should respect that and not go for it. And then she essentially implies that Celine Dion went too hard. And then at the end of it, she says, in fact, I was so embarrassed about this person's behavior, a.k.a. Celine, that I walked to the back of the stage and left the performance. I then watched the performance that didn't really happen. I, I was like, yes, yeah, Celine goes for it, but it's still very much about Aretha and Mariah didn't walk to the back of the stage. So it made me question everything. Calling her Mariah the liar. I am now. Take us higher. <laughs> I do I do like the other story she tells about Divas Live where uh, she's doing the duet with Diana Ross and they're trying to make them wear those, she calls them hideous green sequined gowns she says they were cheap costume types nowhere near couture putrid and then there's that great that great story where she she tells diana ross that she actually has two dresses that they could possibly wear together and they're versace uh, let me read it to you donatella versace had made me two fine metallic mesh link mini toga style numbers one gold and one <laughs> one gold and one silver and i bought them with me and then in brackets what a perfect night to have options. And then basically Diana Ross agrees to wear the silver dress and she wears the gold one and they look fucking fantastic in them. In fact, I think there's a picture of it in the, the pictures yeah. bit in the middle. Oh, I love that so much, but I love that description. Like <laughs> Versace chain link, fine mesh toga, mini dress. Sure. But also who's this random person coming up being like, here's like a putrid green dress that we've got for you to wear. Who is this person? I have, like, I have... <laughs> people don't just come up to you in a show, particularly Mariah Carey and be like, we've chosen this for you. Doesn't, yeah. That doesn't work like that. No, there's definitely wardrobe consultations before anything like that. So wait, you've given your favorite Mariah songs. I need to give you my favorite Mariah songs. Hit me. Okay. Actually, I know, I know your favorite. So can I guess it? Yeah. Lover boy. I love Loverboy. Loverboy remix. I love that song so much. Only came to to Spotify this year. <laughs> that is my fave. I underrated classic for me is Through the Rain. Ooh, yeah. Great. Love that song. Um, and then also probably just Honey in general is just an amazing song. Oh God, I can't believe I forgot about I didn't uh, I mean, the problem is, is I want to just, you know, I, I my instinct is just to list every single song pretty much because I love nearly every song she's ever released. But Honey is, oh, Honey is so good. The video for Honey is so good. Oh, that's the moment for me in the 90s where I was suddenly, I, she suddenly got my attention. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, I've got it. Because before then, I remember like fantasy and all, I was like, yeah, this is fun. But then Honey hit and there was that amazing video and she's wearing like a white mini skirt and it's got that beat. And I was like, okay, I'm on board. That bit where she shimmies out of the, the dress in the pool and she's wearing the kind of Ursula Andress uh, Bond bikini thing and heels. Oh, she's so exquisite. I guess that's- you know what it's. Do you know what it's quite similar to actually it's quite similar to um kylie's on a night like this video <laughs> there's definitely they, they're definitely sisters <laughs> sister videos both for sure sister they're both agents double agents that you know <laughs> like the the australian and american agents <laughs> what was your when did mariah click for you Ooh, great question i think she i i, I hate to say it just because you did i think honey is when she clicked for me i knew that i liked uh, fantasy and it i remember the roller coaster stuff and the the kind of i liked her aesthetic in the fantasy video it's it's like genuinely probably how i still want to dress now in like a denim cut off short with a flannel but like i i think honey is where it really because i think we're being of a similar age it's when our kind of 
consciousness of of the gayness and the campness and the being like oh a diva woman is amazing it all kind of coincided with her kind of emancipation if you will don't oh, you think not yet not yet <laughs> no not no no yet. i know i know but like her actual emancipation where she got to start doing whatever she wanted kind of coincided with us being those gays of a certain age and then she truly like I loved her anyway then I you know I was on board with her then but I would say the Emancipation of Mimi album when I was at university it made me it made me realize that I loved her and I went back to the kind of back catalog after that and was like oh yeah I love all these songs oh I love Mariah Carey oh I'm like I'm a I'm a maybe not a full lamb but I'm a you know a a baby lamb no (laughs) a lamb is a baby sheep a lamb in waiting? Yeah, I'm a lamb in waiting for sure. I'm not a fully fledged lamb because I don't I don't know all of the lore and the history, but I I'm very much I'm a I'm a lamb adjacent. <laughs> I'm I a agree, ram. I agree. I'm in the we're in the we're in the field across the street. Yeah, we're we're rams. Yeah, we're rams in the other field. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely agree that the emancipation of Mimi in what, oh four was just such a moment. I feel. I just feel like, yeah. Anytime I hear, you know, Jermaine Dupree, JD on the track, and, and Mariah together, that's that's when that little collabo really got me. So you know, kind of, it's like that. And got your number. <laughs> I love got your number. <laughs> shake, shake it off. Oh my god, I love shake it off so much. Shake, shake, shake it off. Oh god, I fucking love shake it off. But as we discovered recently, that last album she did, the Caution album is very very good it oh came my out a God. couple of years ago and it's a great as we discovered in palm springs if it's you know it's it's just starting to get dark and you're having a cocktail we'll just put on the caution album oh. and you just shimmies around in the background <laughs> yeah get the fuck out i mean gtfo is an iconic song and should have been way more appreciated outside of the the lamely and just the gays you know gtfo yeah. should have been a billboard number one so mariah carey book you know, as I said, perfect for Christmas. You know, get it in your stocking. Would you, I've been just, when you were a kid, did you get a stocking? Yeah, we had pillowcases, I seem to remember. And I would, I would actually, I was so scared of Father Christmas coming into my room while I slept. I would have to sleep in my brother's room in his bunk beds on Christmas Eve because I told my parents I didn't like the thought of a man coming in a room while I was asleep. Yeah, and that's a hundred percent fair. Like an old, weird white man coming into your <laughs> into your room and like leaving you gifts is creepy as hell. In yeah. fact, we certainly know that um, podcast nemesis Michael and his family are considering uh, switching out Santa Claus with Mariah Carey. Yes, and she's actually the person who brings you gifts, and she is the real spirit of Christmas. And I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, oh god, we haven't even we we haven't even touched on the Mariah Carey Christmas special. Speaking of that. Oh, I haven't watched it yet. Have you? I've only seen, I've only watched the performance of Oh Santa with Jennifer Hudson and Ariana Grande, where Mariah and Ariana <laughs> harmonize a whistle tone. And I basically just, much like every other homosexual on the planet, just watched that and essentially left my body and ascended to heaven. Left my body. Pull me on the floor. <laughs> there's a line in touch my body <laughs> we still me and my friend Lydia could never quite work out what she was talking about and it sounds like she she does like an ad lib and she's it sounds like she says let me put my face around your waist what does that mean <laughs> well she's just like nuzzling someone's waist yeah. like giving a little sniff exactly put, put my face all around your waist oh my god me, me and my, <laughs> say me and my friend caroline were obsessed with the treat you like a teddy bear line from touch my body 
what a creepy line. Treat you like a teddy bear. What's the tropical breeze line? That's your favorite, isn't it? I want, I want, I want you to caress me like a tropical breeze. Ah, <laughs> oh, touch my. We could do a whole episode just on touch my body, just deconstructing <laughs> the lyrics and how amazing that song is. So the UK equivalent of Mariah Carey's book, The Meaning of Mariah Carey. Where are we going to go with this? It's a, it's a toughie. Now I I haven't read uh, a UK based memoir for quite a while. I mean, back in the day, if only by Jerry Halliwell. I was, I was going to say I read all of the uh, all of the Spice Girls autobiographies. They were learning to fly. I've actually just had I've had a thought. It's actually in a You're Welcome America first. It's actually a about something that doesn't exist. <laughs> oh, okay. So what? Yeah, we're trying to work out the UK equivalent of Mariah Carey's book. Hit me. It would be, because I just looked it up on Amazon.com and I can't find an official autobiography, but in my imagination, it would be if Shirley Bassey, Dame Shirley Bassey did an autobiography, would be the main I was totally going to suggest Shirley Bassey. Yeah. She's she's actually got, they've actually got very similar backgrounds and, and kind of stories, actually. They're both, yeah, both mixed race divas. There are jewels. There are big voices. There are legends. Shirley Bassey, not as big as Mariah Carey, but as is always the way with UK US equivalents. Yeah. Famously, didn't Shirley Bassey, didn't she not make much money at the beginning of her career because she asked to be paid in diamonds? Or have I made that up? I mean, again, that sounds like something that would be in one of their autobiographies. <laughs> Actually, that's, is that how you would buy the book? You'd have to pay in diamonds. Yeah, you have to send a diamond to Shirley Bassey's house and she'll release a, a copy of the autobiography. <laughs> I, so, honestly, this is just, a, this is one of those, so I know Big Spender is like a, like a, like a 80s tragic, like kind of UK kind of end of the pier drag performance song. But I will tell you, everyone should go back and listen to Big Spender and just like truly appreciate how it's an amazing song. I just wanted to throw that out there as a public service announcement. Okay, thank you for that. Isn't also Shirley Bassey now really problematic for some reason? Like she said something or did something. Oh, she can do whatever she wants. She can say and do whatever she wants. I'm just gonna tell you a very quick story and I might cut this because it might be too long-winded. But when I worked on a popular daytime talk show, she came on as a guest and my friend uh, Debbie, shout out to Debbie, was looking after her and she was in her room flicking through a rack of, of clothing to wear, of dresses, while my friend Debbie was briefing her. And she said that she was kind of rejecting different gowns and outfits and she said that she took a look at Debbie's outfit and Debbie was wearing a leopard print t-shirt or top that day and apparently Shirley Bassey just went, Hmm, leopard. And then just plucked this leopard <laughs> this leopard print gown from her rack and wore that on the show. And so me and my friend Debbie always talk about that. Hmm, leopard. Leopard. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. Okay, well, we've got to it. We've got to the place where the UK equivalent of Mariah Carey's book is James Shirley Bassey's unwritten memoir. Go get it by sending your diamonds. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, we're back for our next topic of the episode. We've done America. You're welcome. We're now going to do something British. Fraser, what do you have for us? Well, you do not get more British than the Great British Bake Off, or as it's known here in America, the Great British Baking Show. I'll be talking GBBO or Great British GBBS. 
Anyway, that's what I'm going to be <laughs> that's what I'm going to be discussing today. So basically, the latest series or season, uh, series eleven of uh, Great. I'm just going to call it Bake Off for any American listeners. I will be calling it Bake Off. Okay, just deal with it. So yeah, the latest the latest series has just finished uh, on last week on Channel Four and on Netflix here in America, and it made me want to talk about all things Great British Bake Off. So. I just want to kind of start with a disclaimer, which is always a good sign, which means I'm definitely going to make a thousand mistakes. But I came to Bake Off a bit later throughout the process. I came to Bake Off around kind of series. Do you know what? I'm a goddamn liar. I was just about to be like, I didn't come into this till really late. And I'm looking at the Wikipedia. I started at series three. (laughs) So actually, I, I actually didn't watch the first two series. But basically... When when Bake Off was kind of getting really popular, I was very resistant to it because I hate cookery and I hate cooking shows. But then actually, cookery I really... cookery translation for the US cooking. Yeah, so, and then I actually realized that that's not what the TV show is about at all. So just a quick overview: uh, Great British Bake Off is a you know competition reality show where a group of amateur bakers get together uh, for every episode and they have to do baking basically and be judged. And someone goes every week, and then there's a winner. So that's the kind of that's the, the vague, loose description of, of Great British Bake Off. Question for you, question for you. Is the prize still just like a bunch of flowers and a pat on the back? No. So actually, if, if you're a runner-up, you get a bunch of flowers. If you win, you get a Great British Bake Off cake stand, a glass cake stand with the words Great British Bake Off, like laser etched into the top of it. So actually, you get you get a pat on the back and a glass cake stand. Great, 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 great. <laughs> so actually, you're you're giving me a good entry point to talk about what makes Bake Off it's a uniquely British thing. So the show, (laughs) I think the show concept came from whoever developed it said that it came from the idea of in America, they do Bake Off competitions, but then they, they, it was that combined with the idea of like a village fate. So that's kind of how the concept of it came up. And actually that's what the whole kind of aesthetic of the TV show is like. So in Bake Off, they take, in the, in the TV show, the whole thing takes place in the Great British Bake Off tent, which is essentially a marquee. <laughs> do they say marquee here? They don't, do they? They say marquee is like the marquee of a building, like the, the sign of a building. Yeah, but they don't say marquee like a big old tent that you go in. <laughs> you have a big old drafty, flappy tent. Big old drafty white tent that you have like y- your dad's 50th in. <laughs> <laughs> but, only, but only if the garden doesn't have a slope, because if it's got a slope, it's a nightmare. <laughs> so yeah, so the, the very the aesthetic of, of Bake Off is very like uh country fate. So they they the whole thing takes place in a big marquee. They every series they have it in a different oh actually that's not true. It, it it's moved around a few times, but it's always in the gardens of a stately home. So it looks very, very, very pretty. The decoration and the kind of set design of the whole TV show is very British and quaint. It's bunting fucking up the wazoo. So much bunting. (laughs) So much bunting, you can't handle it. The whole aesthetic is classic British fate summary kind of vibe. And that's what they go for. I just wanted to, before I kind of get into talking about the things that I love about Bake Off, what's your Bake Off story? Because I feel like you have never seen an episode of it. So I've seen bits of it. It just it the the coziness of the show makes me really like I'm I'm gonna have a panic attack. Like I just I picture the show of people baking cakes and things. I I don't 
I don't bake. I'm not that interested in baking. I also picture people at home just eating cakes while watching a show about cakes. And it just makes me all explode. <laughs> See, I, I had a very similar thought about it before I properly got into it, where I was just like, I hate baking. I'm not interested. It's too twee. You know me as well. I'm a contrarian. Like I love nothing more than going against what everyone's doing and, and refusing to give into it. Then I started watching it. And actually that's when I went back to watch old seasons after I watched like one of them. I think it was with my housemates in London. They were watching it and I was just was like, fine, I'm going to watch Bake Off, whatever. This program's stupid. And I was like, this program is charming and lovely. And I, I went back and watched that's exactly what I did. I went back and watched from season three because they were all on Netflix. So actually, I'm a, I am a liar twice over. I actually got into it much later and then went back and watched early seasons because I enjoyed it so much. I'll tell you why I like it. Particularly. <laughs> so I got into it in those last few years of, of living in London because uh, it was, you know, it was always on. Uh, it's on every week and you can kind of... It felt like a really nice activity for me and my housemates to get together and watch it because it's the most low stakes... TV show you've ever seen. They go out of their way to edit and do the show where nothing bad ever happens. <laughs> so there's actually a lot of pressure and people do cry and it is quite intense, but there's no nastiness between the contestants. They're all like friends. They have a lovely time. When people get uh, kicked off of the show, you know, the hosts cry because <laughs> they're so sad to see them go. Uh, you know, they do those interviews and they, in the interview after they get kicked off the show, they always say like, I've had a lovely time. I've had the time of my life. There's something about it that seems like it should be irritating and too sweet. But once you give into it and let it brainwash you, it's the most like comforting, cozy blanket you've ever like laid under in your life. So, <laughs> so what I'm telling you is you need to just watch Bake Off and just get over it basically. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Fine. Fine. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about a few little details about it, what has kind of made it the uh, intensely popular TV show that it is. Cause when it first started, it was, it's a bit of like a sleeper hit. I think it was around the kind of series two and um, series two and three, where actually their ratings go from like two two point seven seven million views of the first series to like, 13 million viewers in the UK, which is a lot for the UK viewing figures, you know, around kind of series seven, where it kind of reached this like fever pitch. Um, so the original kind of lineup of people on the show was the two judges were Paul Hollywood and Mary Berry, and it was hosted by Mel and Sue. <laughs> I've never thought about how funny Mel and Sue name, how their names are when you just say them like that. Just Mel and Sue. So for any American listeners to understand who Mel and Sue are, they are a duo, like a comedy duo, who came to fame in the 90s because they had their own Channel 4 show called Late Lunch? Light Lunch. Light right? Lunch. Light Lunch. And it was a daytime, <laughs> a lunchtime, like, what? How do you describe Light Lunch? Mag people? Magazine show? Yeah, it was like a really strange TV show. It was a cult TV show as well. It was so popular. And they would have guests on and interview them. But the two of them are comedians. So it was all done with a very like British kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink tone. And they would do cooking segments. But the joke was always that Sue couldn't cook. So she would always mess up the cooking segments. And very uniquely British show. And like, very hard to explain to people. Do you know who I think that the U the US equivalent of Sue is? Who? It's Rachel Maddow. <laughs> yes. Well, they have a very similar aesthetic. <laughs> very similar aesthetic. One's in news, one's in entertainment, both lesbians, done. <laughs> 
Imagine if like Rachel Maddow and Amy Poehler decided to host a show about cooking. <laughs> exactly. Done. <laughs> and then obviously uh, Paul Hollywood and Mary Berry are the judges. So Paul Hollywood is a famous for kind of bread and baking. He is a, he looks like an old, like, silver daddy from like the gay community very like gray haired and piercing blue eyes and kind of paunchy but in a way that a lot of like to use to you know to use a term that they would use in like the sun he really gets like housewives pulses racing mm. <laughs> and he's he's got that kind of skin tone like he's he's just been on like a little a little vacation you know what well, i mean he's been a little trip he's got a bit of color always looks like he's just come back from spain yeah <laughs> that's his whole vibe and then mary berry is a kind of very beloved very old lady who is famous for kind of her lovely recipes she's a she's kind of a delia smith but an older you know recipe cook essentially is what she is famous but she's cook. now gone she's no longer on the show is she oh, she's not gone <laughs> make it sound like she's dead so yeah it, it that's a big a big part of the of bake-off's kind of identity for the first few series for the first seven series that it was on bbc one so it's a bbc show it was bbc two to start with then bbc one so it's a bbc show which actually really grounds it in britishness and tweeness and kind of comfort because that's the bbc's whole kind of vibe then in 2016 in a controversial move which actually set the uk aflame it was very similar to the recent election that just happened here in america you know the country was divided and basically what happened the production company that made bake-off sold sold it to channel four instead of renewing their contract with the bbc for more money and people lost their fucking shit it's not, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same. Yeah, it turns out it's exactly the same. The main, <laughs> the, the main gripe people had is that, I don't know if American listeners know this, but on the BBC, there are no commercial breaks. And on Channel 4, there are. And that was a big gripe everyone had. They said they didn't want to watch it with adverts, with ads. But again, everyone got over it. And most of the time, if you're watching it on demand anyway, you don't have the adverts. Anyway, let's not get into the semantics of on demand. So that was a big, a big controversial move. And then with the, with the move to Channel 4, there was a shakeup in terms of hosts and judges. So Mary Berry, or Beza, as some people like to call her, which I actually don't because I think it's incredibly disrespectful to her. But uh, Beza decided that she didn't want to, she wanted to kind of stay with the BBC aesthetic and she didn't like the fact that they'd sold it to Channel 4. So she left and they replaced uh, Mary Berry with Prue Leith. Basically another older kind of, older famous chef cook baker whatever you want to call her but this time around the the thing about prue is that she she's a little more fun she likes a drink she's like prue has a real kind of she has a very particular aesthetic as well which is kind of like a mad art teacher she always looks like a mad art teacher her outfits are really crazy she has these kind of funky glasses they're long-running jokers that yeah she loves a drink so anytime someone's making something with alcohol in it it's all you know it's all very fun nope keep prue away oh exactly. like this one exactly and then uh, paul hollywood stayed and then in a move that confused and weirdly makes a lot of sense the mel and sue the hosts decided to not move to channel four as well and they replaced mel and sue with <laughs> noel fielding and sandy toxvick <laughs> oh how do, I we mean, explain, I, <laughs> how do we explain uh, Noel Fielding and Sandy Toxvig to people? Very difficult. I, I So Noel Fielding is part of the comedic wor- world in the UK where he's 
very heterosexual but incredibly eccentric yes so it's quite hard there is there is no u.s equivalent of that because (laughs) gender and sexuality lines are very very i don't know like drawing with a a a felt pen in the u.s (laughs) there's no room for with a sharpie exactly um so yeah he is that and then sandy toxvig is just the most wonderful intelligent funny older lesbian but what is she is she a tv host is she a a a, what is she what is sandy toxic wait let me see what google i've have you ever have you ever dealt with sandy before i haven't no is is she is she a dream she is an utter joy and delight and i had a after one show we worked on had lovely like glass of red with her after the show it's lovely she is apparently a writer. Well, writer, comedian, broadcaster. She's very Radio 4. Yeah. She's very like, she she is a host of shows, but she's incredibly intelligent. And it's yeah, like she, if you were doing a well-respected PBS show and you wanted a historian to come on who's actually okay at talking on camera. It's that kind of person. Yeah. And she hosts like, she goes on like the, as like brainy quiz shows in the UK, like QI and like all kinds of stuff. Anyway, I can't get too in the weeds with Sandy Toxic. Needless to say, when people bandy around the term national treasure, I'm normally like not that into it, but Sandy Toxic is a goddamn national treasure. Love and American, American viewers who still didn't understand who she was still knew that she was amazing. I've heard that on other things where they talk about it. And then basically, you know, that move to Channel 4 when they went, especially when Noel Fielding was announced, people were like, what? This is so stupid. He's like, he's terrible. But actually, I'm going to tell you something. Noel Fielding is very, very good on, as, on hosting Bake Off. He leans into the fact that he knows nothing about cooking and baking. You know, he reads out, when he reads out the challenge of what they have to cook, you know, he often says, I don't know what I'm talking about. Or he's, he'll often say, I don't know what I just said. You know, a lot of the jokes are based around the fact that he, you know, he doesn't understand anything that's happening. And then also, because he has this kind of goth, this like fun goth vibe, in the past like few series of the show, anytime there's a contestant who is a bit like kooky or like alternative, he really like zeroes in on them. And they, a lot, a big part of the show is the hosts of the show walk around while the bakers are making stuff and talk to them. And he goes into these kind of flights of fancy and kind of whimsy with the contestants that are, I'm, I'm just going to throw out there, are fucking delightful. There was one contestant, I mean, I'm going to get into the contestants a little bit. There's one contestant called Elena. And she, <laughs> I can't remember where she was from originally. She lived in the UK, but she was from like Transylvania originally. I might have made that up, but basically her whole, <laughs> her whole thing was everything she made was like Halloween themed and spooky. And she loved anything <laughs> to do with like spiders and ghosts and monsters. And him and her, they <laughs> loved each other. There was... <laughs> So many scenes of them talking about how much they loved vampires and ghosts and things. Anyway, that's that's that. And then actually the latest series, uh, Sandy Sandy Toxic left and they replaced her with uh, Matt Lucas from, oh, no. from Little Britain. And I will say oh, the, balance no. is, the balance is off. Him and Noel, the whimsy level is way too high and we need just one whimsical person. And Sandy was like the, she brought it all back down to earth. So I'm not yeah, so Sandy- sure about Sandy's very solid like she you can trust her with anything she'll like keep that ship sailing you know well everyone's like having a run around on deck like singing songs and wearing outfits Sandy would just you know hold that rudder keep it straight and on, on they'd go yeah and it's definitely flown off the rails a little bit with those two kind of as the hosts I think there's something that you've pinpointed here the whole concept of the show it's like British baking is so traditional and that just infuriates me because it's just 
harking back to times where you were, you and I might not have been accepted in society. And that just yes. makes me really angry. But then if you examine it closer, you've got people like Prue, who's, you know, incredibly eccentric. You've had Sandy, who's like this older, intelligent lesbian. You've got Noel, who's, you know, all over the place. Yeah, and- so. So if you examine it closer, it's very, it's very off the rails in a wonderful way. Yeah. And actually the casting of the contestants is, is always really good in the sense that it reflects the UK as an actual place, not like the kind of white utopia of of village fates and baking. So actually they always have a really good diverse, you know, group of people. They have people from all different, I hate to use the term walks of life, but it genuinely they have just, it's always a really well cast show. There's always kind of, there's, often a lot of like queer representation on there and just the but also the thing that's so brilliant about Bake Off is they don't none of that is focused on so there's in fact I was actually watching a an older uh, season of the show and I maybe it was this season I, I, I can't remember anyway what I'm trying to say is I was watching one of the seasons of the show and one of the contestants he has had a prosthetic leg and sometimes wore one of those kind of, um, you know, like Reading blade things. And I did not know until the episode that he left the show and they showed him walking off into the distance that I didn't even know he had a prosthetic leg because not at any point was that something that they talked about in a, you know, as a, as like a plot point for the show. So, you know, people, people drop little hints here and there about their real lives when they're talking about stuff, but none of that is what it's about it's literally about baking <laughs> which i think which i really appreciate I, I i honestly think that you would like the show a lot more than you think you would because it's it's quite cleverly made and not as twee and annoying as you think it is anyway um, this is this whole episode is not about me convincing you to watch it because <laughs> whatever it doesn't matter but um real quick so one of the kind of the things that bake off is really famous for yeah is this kind of niceness and kindness and it being a competition show but no one they help each other they no one's ever argued on it there's nothing bad has basically ever happened apart from (laughs) i'm going to read you a little a little list of the uh kind of this is this is actually from an article on the sun called the top five most scandalous moments of the great british bake-off but i'm going to read them to you so one of them is an amazing moment from when mary berry was still on the show and basically one of the parts of the show they uh, they have a technical challenge. This is where the contestants essentially have to, they get given ingredients and have to make something, you know, they don't get to prepare for it like they do normally. And in this episode, it was Jaffa cakes. <laughs> and um, and they they cut to Paul and Mary and they're talking, they having Jaffa cakes and a cup of tea. And Paul dunks his Jaffa cake into his cup of tea. And Mary Berry was disgusted because Mary Berry's posh and old. <laughs> and Paul Hollywood's from like Liverpool and is like rough and ready working class man. And apparently that was a huge cultural divide that uh, rich people and posh people don't dip their biscuits in their tea. Oh. So that's, that's would, you dip, the, would you dip a Jaffa cake? I wouldn't dip a Jaffa cake into a cup of tea because I don't think that the, the structure of the of the Jaffa cake is... You want, you want like a... <laughs> you want more of a biscuit structure whereas the jaffa cake is more of a cake structure and i think that's going to dissolve too quickly into your cup of tea mm, that's fair that's fair <laughs> and then there's two <laughs> there's two of the most iconic bake-off controversies so, <laughs> so in one of the seasons they were making baked alaska and <laughs> one of the contestants ian put his baked alaska into the freezer and then another contestant diana is seen moving it out of the way to make space for hers 
and this is a very controversial thing because basically his whole his whole um back to alaska obviously melted and collapsed and he had a kind of a hissy fit and he threw it in the bin and it was actually dubbed as bin gate and and people were debating whether or not it was deliberate sabotage but because he threw it in the bin and had a hissy fit it's one of the only like negative moments that's ever happened on bake off and i think there was no way of them cutting it out because he left that week he got kicked off that week and it, you know when they presented their final dish they, they couldn't edit around it so like it's one of the only times something negative has ever happened in the history of uh of bake-off and then but, one but wait, uh, did, was he did he was he eliminated that week because his baked alaska was so bad well it's because he threw it in the bin so they couldn't even try it oh yeah. he really just gave up <laughs> yeah and that's uh, that's the very ethos of bake-off is that if someone like truly fucks up they still present it to the judges and the judges will say like oh yeah this is a, like this is a mess or this is unfortunate but they will always still be like the flavor's good or like you know you, you're really nearly there it's so encouraging so for him to throw it in the bin was a very negative non-bake-off move and then the one final other controversy actually there was a great controversy from this year where someone knocked someone's cakes to the floor <laughs> but the, <laughs> the the big one is custard gate which is basically <laughs> basically where they were making what were they making oh they were making trifle and this contestant, <laughs> I, I fucking hate trifle and there was these two contestants one called deborah and one called howard <laughs> Deborah was like a lovely, like mousy older lady, and Howard was like a great, like old kind of Kenneth Williams style old gay. And um, <laughs> I think he was. And maybe I shouldn't be just throwing around slurs about Howard. And basically, she at some point when they were making the custard for their trifle, <laughs> Deborah accidentally used Howard's custard in her trifle. And then by the time they realized, they just had to. He just had to use her custard. And then when it came to them tasting them it turns out that Howard had made more superior custard and she'd essentially stolen it by accident and hers tasted better because of that. And she cried. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so then what happened? Who did, did they both get through? What happened? Yeah. Yeah. They, they both, they both got through cause it, it, it was quite early on. So there was lots of contestants, but that's what's, and the lovely thing about the show is that she cried and then he came over and he was hugging her and saying, it doesn't matter. It's fine. And that would never happen on any other kind of reality show. It would all be about like cutthroat and stabbing each other in the back and like, well, you know, you shouldn't have given me your custard and it would be like a fight. But in this one, they like, when someone does cry on the show, they rally around them. The other contestants do, the hosts do, they go and hug them. You know, they're like take five. It's one of the most like supportive and nice TV shows I've ever seen. And, and, I can't believe I like it so much because of that. <laughs> Wait, what? Does it ever rain? Because you know what it's like when you're in a marquee tent and oh, wow. it rains. It's oh, it's pretty pretty miserable. So what happens when it rains? Let me tell you something, Ben. The British weather is one of the biggest plot points <laughs> on Bake Off. So, <laughs> so they they film the show in the summer. So <laughs> there's a lot of always a lot of talk. It, obviously, it does rain, and they they just have to show shots of it raining so that you can explain the sound issues that they have because of it. <laughs> so they and they talk about the fact that it's raining but one of the big points is that when they're making when they're baking things that are very sensitive to heat like if they're making kind of souffles or anything with like chocolate that's going to melt or ice cream that's going to melt it's all they fucking talk about they're like it's 29 degrees in the tent today and the bakers were like oh my god it's 30 degrees it's so hot it's so hot oh my god my baked alaska is gonna melt it's like a huge a huge plot point for the show (laughs) it really is so there's a contestant that won series three. He's called John Waite, and he is a homosexual. And I am very into him. He has a lot of thirsty uh, things on Twitter. And I'm just sent you a couple is he, of Is he them. like wearing an apron, but also like a chef's hat, but also baking? No, this is actually, uh, I want you to describe the pictures I just sent you. 
Oh, wait. I, oh, wait. Oh, oh, whoa. Okay, they've all come through. For the remainder of 2020, you can find me collapsed under my Christmas tree in my Christmas onesie. Tequila in one hand, stolen bites in the other. What's a stolen bite? It's like a, a stolen is a Christmas. Uh, it's like a, a biscuit. Stolen biscuits, I think. I can't remember what oh. they're made of. So he's, and he's posing wearing a very suggestive, it's not like a thick onesie. It's more like a, a onesie that you'd wear in the winter under like other clothes to keep warm. Yeah, it's it's like a, genu- a genuine undergarment isn't it but it's one of yeah, those like he, sexy gay ones he's I, I think he's really hot basically he's in incredible shape yeah the, the whole reason I, I wanted to bring him up is just that i to use a very british term i fancy him <laughs> he's a, he he's a hot guy i can yeah. yep i can see it and you know after the after finally you know secreting uh, anthony crank into existence i just wanted to talk about another kind of manchester homosexual that i'm very attracted to and maybe he'll hear this somehow and and we can talk to him i think one of the things that americans find like fascinating about the show is the fact that the food that they cook on it is so british and there's always that there's that talk of like pies and they they made cornish pasties at, at one point and it like blew america's minds and the fact that in here pies are fruit pies and in the uk their pies are full of meat it just there's <laughs> a lot going on but also i don't know enough about cooking to talk about all those things so if anyone has any specific questions they'd like to find the equivalents for to do with baking let us know because i certainly can't think of any so when i was trying to think of the us equivalent of bake off obviously it's one of those tricky ones where they have the american they had the American kind of Bake Off, which I don't think was a very big success, but also Bake Off is a huge success here. So it's kind of something that already exists. So I just thought I'd find, I'd think of a little more out there version of, of what it kind of represents. So bear with me as you, as you go on this roller coaster ride with me. So Bake Off is the most quintessentially British TV show you can find. So I am thinking that it's a combination of these two things. You really got to go with me on this ride, okay? Okay. <laughs> I, I tried to find the most trashy American cooking competition reality show, and I found something called Barbecue Pitmasters, <laughs> <laughs> which is essentially a, a cooking competition about people who make barbecue food. <laughs> and the whole thing is like flames and white men with long beards and like meat and like barbecue pitmasters and like you know monster trucks and like american rock, eagles, rock like, and roll music yeah like, yeah well, like all the flame graphics sliding into camera and there's like a yeah exactly and like bald eagles like flying out of like a barbecue grill and like just like american flag just the most american like american thing you can find so i thought that i thought maybe you could say barbecue pitmasters but also I was thinking about this. Bear with me. This feels like I'm doing a a dissertation in in uh, your welcome America. So bear with. I was thinking the whole vibe of Bake Off is not competitive, sweet, nice, British, sarcastic, quirky. Everyone's going like a lot of knowing, a lot of winking, nudging, like sincere, but you know, like in a very British way. So all self deprecating, yada yada yada. I thought most opposite and most American reality concept that is not that is the bachelor slash the bachelorette. Oh yes. Because it's like not, it... not knowing in any way it's very American. Oh yeah. That, the, the, that's pretty good. The sincerity that everyone goes into that show with the, the drama of it, like none of that. I mean, I know they've tried in the UK to make that work and they can't, which is why they had to do love Island, which is way more trashy, but like, 
no one would ever be able to do the bachelor or bachelorette in the uk because they wouldn't be able to talk like that and that is such a uniquely american kind of glossy thing that they do so i i'm kind of going to propose that the u.s equivalent of the great british bake-off is the bachelor bachelorette fused with barbecue pit masters Okay, as ever, we're going to round out the episode with a game of Welcome Not Welcome, where we say very American, very British things, and we say whether they're welcome or not, i.e. whether we like them or not. I've decided to make all my Welcome Not Welcome topics things that, very traditional things that are made on Bake Off. Okay. <laughs> welcome Not Welcome, we've lightly touched on it already. Trifle. Not welcome. Now, just to explain welcome. to our audience, I, I know you're going to find it not welcome because you struggle with foods that have multiple textures in one food. <laughs> A trifle has, wait, a layer, remind me, it's a layer of cr- double cream, a layer of jelly, and a la- how does it work? Hang on. So, yeah, a trifle is, it's a dessert, and it's sponge cake at the bottom, which is soaked in wine or spirits, topped with layers of jam, custard, and cream. And you know, It's, yeah, you're, you're <laughs> sorry, the reason I cackled so much is because I always forget how well you know me, and yeah, you're right about the texture thing, it's too many... Too many bells and whistles for me, a trifle. Too many different gloopy things for me to deal with. I I can't stand a trifle. Okay, welcome or not welcome, on a similar food note, American biscuits. Oh, so are we talking the American definition of biscuit? Correct. Oh, welcome. So it's essentially a savory scone, scone, right? Yes. Oh my God, absolutely. Let me tell you something. (laughs) Biscuits... (laughs) <laughs> i don't know if i've ever mentioned the fact that i my dad's from the caribbean translation caribbean if you're in america i'd never mention it on this show and when we used to go to st vincent every year for a holiday one of the, my favorite things we would go to kfc and we would get like a chicken meal whatever but they would come with biscuits so i was exposed to them in the american thing in the caribbean and i like i love them they're so nice a biscuit is wonderful. It, Yeah, you're right. It's very much like a, a savory scone, but also a bit like the pastry you would get on top of like a meat pie almost. Yeah. Like so a really t- good meat pie. I tell you what's really good. You know how we're not allowed to eat at Chick-fil-A because they're homophobic? Yeah, the chickens my, are. Yeah. Yeah, my boss, she ordered, <laughs> not because she is a homophobe, but she loves Chick-fil-A. She's from the South. Like, let's cut some slack. So she uh, she ordered Chick-fil-A for all of us one day at work um, as a kind of just like a treat. She ordered all these Chick-fil-A breakfast items. And I ate a, bis- a chicken biscuit, <laughs> which is basically just a chicken burger. But the, the bun is a biscuit, like a fluffy biscuit. That, oh my that's God, a great man. scenario for you because you got chick-fil-a but you did not financially contribute so you were, you were fine exactly it's like I, I got to finally try a chicken biscuit but yeah i, I can still stand by my morals and my such high morals and standards that i have you know oh my okay. god so i'm Amer- welcome oh yeah welcome american biscuits welcome okay welcome or not welcome similar ish kind of thing welcome or not welcome sausage rolls <laughs> mm-hmm i'm i don't i don't love a sausage well i mean i do love i'm just thinking back actually now egyptian grandma used to always serve the marks and spencers ones like heated up at christmas those were pretty good but now i would never crave a sausage roll i'm I'm on the fence a sausage roll for american listeners is a cooked sausage encased in like flaky pastry right Mm, yep 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 yeah see i'm 
you know how I'm basically a vegetarian, but again, not because of morals, but because of in of my brain being wired incorrectly. So despite the fact that I don't eat meat, what I do really love is a cheap sausage roll. So do you remember my mom always used to cook these because my mom was a terrible chef and, and, you know, mother when it came to providing food. <laughs> She would get those ones that were those individual sausage rolls that you put in, that they were in the freezer. And what you would do is you would put them all on a baking tray and then you'd brush a little bit of uh, milk or egg on the top of them and they would rise up and they would be like a little, one little bite of a little sausage, kind of sausage meat in the middle and the all puff pastry around it that was all puffed up in the, in the oven. And you just have like one bite. Oh, and the cheaper, the better with them with like more, way more tasty. Oh my God. My, I'm actually salivating at the thought of those little cheap, sausage rolls so i guess maybe that's welcome for me i'm gonna go i'm gonna go not welcome for me sorry well doesn't surprise me right that is the end of our episode thank you all for listening please rate and review us on apple Podcasts. follow us on instagram and twitter send us some feedback i mean oh we've got one more episode this year haven't we yes we are going to be doing our our christmas episode i don't know what we're doing i just also i just feel so exhausted i mean this is not going to know this because I'm going to do such a fantastic job editing this, but me and Ben have been talking for hours. <laughs> but yes, we're going to be doing our Christmas episode and that's going to be our last episode of 2020. And then we will be returning in 2021 with some exciting side projects. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing to get the audience more exciting than saying we've got a side project coming out. Multiple side projects so have a good few weeks we'll see you in time for the end of the year you're welcome bye you're so far up your mouth i can get to smell your own shit where are you from joseph south shields well there were three of us in this marriage i just want to say liam come and have a go if you think you are i enjoy cooking bacon and stop working with flyer